We're going to begin reading at verse 21. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and it's now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Read that again. The hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Now God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. It is true. It is good. When it is believed, it saves, it delivers. It It not only delivers us, but God, it delivers. The Bible delivers. It is true. You come through and honor your promises. God, today we give you thanks in your presence as your people for your word. And I pray and ask God that we would continue to worship you in spirit and in truth today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So in recent weeks, we concluded our sermon series on the book of Isaiah. That was a, a huge accomplishment. It's a big win to work through an Old Testament prophet like that as a church. So I'm very thankful for that time that we had and trust that it was a blessing to you as it was to me as well. So what we're going to be doing here for the next several weeks is taking a time of transition between studying the big book of Isaiah And our next book, which will be the book of 1 Peter, okay, which technically was a letter in the first century, but we'll call it a book. Um, So we're going to be moving into a time of studying 1 Peter here in about a month's time. In the meantime, we are going to do something that caught my attention when I was at a Bible conference a few years ago. And uh, Mark Dever was uh, teaching at that time. If you know Mark Dever, pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church, Washington, D.C., and just a real gift to the, to the modern church as he writes about and the, the, the purpose of the church and, and those things. And so, anyway, something that Mark Dever said in that conference caught my attention. And he said, as a pastor, as a teacher, make sure that you are teaching the church about the church. Teach the church about the church. Don't just assume that the church knows what, who we are as a people and, and what God designed and created us to do. And that, that can be a little bit of a humbling statement. Like, well, maybe, maybe we don't know everything there is to know about the church. I mean, we, grow to, we go to church all the time and we've done this maybe our whole lives. 
Some of us, the church is a newer thing, but, but still. Teach the church about the church. We should not assume that we all understand our, our God-designed, God-ordained purposes. And even if we do understand those things, it's good to be reminded. And it's good for us to be refreshed on those things. So why did God create the church, save the church, and what does he expect from the church in terms of worship? What does God expect from us? God has some expectations for his church. Now, along those lines, I once heard a wise saying that you can't expect what you don't inspect. Think about that for a minute. It's one of those things that kind of make you tilt your head, right? But you can't expect what you don't inspect. That is to say that if if you have a certain expectation of of your people, let's say you're a parent, you have expectations of your children, okay? Well, if, if you really want those expectations, if you want them to be faithful to those expectations, what do you have to do, parents? You have to inspect. <laughs> you have to go behind and you have to make sure that your children are following through and being faithful to the expectations. So you can't expect what you don't inspect. But we could also turn that around, couldn't we? You can't inspect what you don't first expect. And you have to teach those expectations to begin with. Doesn't that make sense? You have to teach the expectations, what you want from your people. And God is, he has given us his word so that we know what he expects from us. And we also see in his word that he not only expects that from us, but he is going to inspect that. So God teaches us clearly his expectations, and then he follows through with the inspection of those expectations. Years ago, I was a teacher, and I had a student in the classroom who had an attitude that was, I was, I was clashing with this student of mine. And I still remember exactly where he sat, and I still remember exactly how he looked at me, and I still remember exactly how he responded when I would ask him to do things. And it was just creating this tension. So I ended up talking to his mom one day on the phone, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to explain to his mom, you know, her son's attitude, and she's trying to explain to me where, where, where her son is coming from and just the kind of person he is and all that. We're going back and forth. And she finally goes, well, Mr. Nelson, what do you expect from my son? And it wasn't disrespectful. It was just a clear, like, what do you expect? What do you, what do you want from him? And it kind of stopped me. I didn't have a good answer for that. The only thing I could think of is, I don't want him to do what he's doing. <laughs> but I, I couldn't necessarily paint that picture. But this is, this is what I expect. This is what I, I want. And so that tells me that I didn't do a good job in the first place of painting the picture and explaining the expectations to my students. So no wonder that they were a little bit confused. No wonder that they didn't always do everything that I was expecting them to do if I didn't communicate those things to them. We mentioned this already, but parents learn and relearn this principle all the time. (laughs) Stop doing that, we tell our kids. And they're like, what, what? 
I can't even put it into words what they're doing. I'm like, that. Just stop doing that. Well, Dad, what do you want me to do? So again, back to the expectations. The expectations are huge. Got to know what those are. And God has expectations for his church. When it comes to worship. And because he has those expectations, he's also in the process of inspecting his churches to see how we're doing with those. So God is in our midst today. And he's looking for something in particular. Maybe you've studied the the book of Revelation before. Now, Revelation has a reputation of being full of end times prophecies. Okay, but if you read the first three chapters of that of that book, you see this um, convicting picture. Maybe this um, alarming picture of the risen and glorious son of man, Jesus Christ. In his glory. And it says that he's doing something in those chapters. It says that he's walking in the midst of his churches. And what he's doing is he's inspecting those churches. He's looking for the fruit in those churches. And so chapters 1, 2, and 3 talk about the seven churches in Asia that Jesus was walking in the midst. And he was inspecting those churches. And he was examining them and studying them. And looking for the fruit in those cases. And so God is here today, Central Baptist Church. He, he is going to stop in and take a look at what we're doing. And he is looking for something in particular. What is he looking for? What is he expecting? And we can find the answer to that question in John chapter 4 that we just read. We can find out what... God is looking for in our church. What are his expectations and what is he inspecting in our church? We see it in John chapter four. Listen carefully as I read these verses again. And and as soon as I'm done, I'll give you the pop quiz. Okay. I'll even give you the question beforehand. So what is God looking for in the church? See if you can hear it in these verses now that we read again. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Now, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak speak to you am he. Okay, so question, what is the father looking for? He's looking for worship. Good, it's true. What does it say there? Worship coming from who? People full of the spirit and truth? Okay. Yeah. Those who worship him in spirit and truth? Yes, the Father is seeking those to worship him. Verse 23. The time is coming is now here when the true worshipers, 
will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. He's looking for true worshipers. He's looking for true worshipers. He's not only looking for true worshipers, but he's looking for a church full of those true worshipers. You can imagine from from God's, uh, we always talk about a 30,000 foot view, but God's million foot view, right? And God, the high and holy one who inhabits eternity, looking down on the planet earth today at every church church that is gathering, looking for true worshipers. Churches that are truly worshiping and serving him. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be a true worshiper? What are the two ingredients here that it gives us for true worship? And Kira mentioned that just a moment ago. The two ingredients for key worship, or for true worship, spirit, number one. And secondly, truth. Jesus says there in verse 23, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And it's, it's amazing to me that already... At different points in the service, we've heard that, that reference to spirit and in truth. Pray that we will worship in spirit and in truth. Uh, this morning, Travis and I were, were praying in the office before we came out for the service. And he prayed, and we prayed about worshiping in spirit and in truth. And so, we, we say that a lot. We, say, we kind of throw that phrase and that saying around. In fact, last week, we, uh, we preached out of the same passage of Scripture. Remember John chapter four, the Samaritan woman and um, Aaron preached to us out of this, this, this passage. And he, and he went on further in the passage and he talked about that the fields are white for the harvest. Okay, but one of the things that he mentioned in passing was this verse about preaching in spirit and truth. Okay, so as we're talking today about worshiping the Lord and true worship, I wanted to come back to the same passage that we were in last week. So here Jesus says, what does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? So what does he mean by the spirit? Jesus, what did you mean by worshiping in the spirit? Well, as you read through the gospel of John, you see that the Holy Spirit emerges as a prominent theme in the gospel. You can look, for example, back at chapter three. Back in chapter 3, remember Jesus was having a conversation with a Pharisee, a leader, a ruler of the Jews. His name was Nicodemus. And in chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus answered Nicodemus and he said this. Look back in your Bibles, John 3, verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is one of the most famous passages in the New Testament. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, born of the Spirit, unless your life has been changed by the Holy Spirit, you cannot even see the kingdom. You'll never enter the kingdom. Now in John chapter 7, Aaron referred to this last week. But if you turn over to John 7, you can see furthermore what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the rivers of living water. 
or when he talks about worshiping in the spirit. It says on, on John chapter 7, verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come in, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So what is the living water? Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So there is coming a time when Jesus would be glorified. He would die on the cross. He would be raised again. He would ascend into heaven, sit at the right hand of the Father, and be given the Holy Spirit to pour out into this world and to enable people to preach the gospel so that people could be saved. And it is through the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the word that the church was born and that people are brought into the family of God. So as we go back to chapter 4, verse 23, and we ask that question, what does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? Well, the spirit of God here, or to worship in spirit, this is going back where it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. This is the rivers of living water that well up inside of people who believe the gospel message. In order to worship the Father, you must have the Holy Spirit. You must be born again. It is then by the Holy Spirit and with his help, you can worship God acceptably. You cannot worship God today if you do not have his spirit living in you. The true worshipers are those who worship him in spirit, by the spirit. The Greek word there means in union with the spirit. You must be united with God in spirit. Look at what Jesus says there. Look at verse 24. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. See that? What is God's nature? Spirit. You have to be one in nature with God. You have to be united with him. You have to be given of his spirit in order to worship him. So we worship by the spirit in union with the spirit. So the second ingredient of a true worship there, worshiper in verse 23 is that they worship in truth. So what does it mean to worship God in truth? We know the Bible talks often about sincerity. So maybe it's talking about you can't worship the Father without the Holy Spirit and you, and you have to be sincere. Maybe that's what it's talking about. But I think it's talking about more than just having a sincere heart. In fact, where do you get a sincere heart in the first place? If you're going to worship God with a sincere heart, where does that come from? The Bible teaches that we're bound in sin, that we're dead in our trespasses. How are you going to worship God sincerely if your heart is far away from God and you stray away from Him all the time? See, something has to happen first. And that's where we... we we focus in on another key theme in John's gospel. You want to see the key themes in John's gospel. Uh, 
the incarnate Word of God, Jesus, the Spirit of God that would be given after Jesus ascended to the Father, and the truth of God, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The capital T truth, the person of truth, (laughs) the truth of God, living in the flesh. The truth of God is is a major theme in John's gospel. Um, Jesus said it's to Pontius Pilate when he was on trial in John's gospel alone. This is the only gospel where Jesus said this to Pilate. Pilate said, you know, why are you here? Who are you? And, And Jesus says, for this purpose, I came into the world to testify to the truth. It's a prominent theme in John's gospel. It's one of the special features of his writing. So what is this truth, though? Jesus says you have to, if you're going to worship him, you have to worship in spirit and in truth. With the help of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, according to the truth, what truth? Key passage to understand what Jesus was referring to here. John chapter 8, you can turn over a few pages. John chapter 8, verse 31. Would you read these with me? John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. How does the son set us free? Well, he told you back in verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You listen to the words of Jesus. You believe the words of Jesus and he will set you free. Free from what? Sin, bondage, darkness, prison, death. Sets you free when you believe. It goes on there in verse 37. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. See, you don't believe the word, Jesus says. This is why you are slaves to sin. If you believe my word, the truth would set you free. But you don't believe my word. It finds no place in you. In verse 38, Jesus tells you that the word he speaks is not his own but it's the word of his father. In verse 38, he says, I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. If you're gonna worship the son, if you're gonna worship God, you worship in spirit and in truth. So what does it mean to worship in truth? I believe from the context of John's gospel, what Jesus was saying is this. To worship in truth is to worship as one who has been set free 
by the truth. If you're going to worship in truth, it means that you are worshiping as one who has been set free by the Son. You've been set free by the word that he spoke. You've been set free by the gospel. You are free to worship because of the gospel. You have heard the truth. You believe the truth and you are free to sincerely express gratitude-filled worship to God for what he has done for you. Think about it. You're not going to worship God if you haven't been set free by the truth. And if the Holy Spirit is not giving you the power to do so, right? How do we worship God? Oh, it's only by the help of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. How do you get that? You've been set free by the truth. To worship in spirit and truth, you must be born again, set free by the Son. Like a captive who has been released from prison. Man, shouldn't we hear joyful shouts of praise in a worship service? Shouldn't we see people abandoning themselves with hands lifted high? Shouldn't we see tears on our faces? Shouldn't our hearts burn? Shouldn't we erupt in joy? If we have been set free by the sun. Do you remember what it was like to live in darkness? In in a prison cell with no windows in the, in the innermost chambers of a cave, just the, the darkest, the, the deepest darkness, so thick that you could just feel it all around you. When the devil was your master, when the devil was your father, Jesus said to the Jews, you are doing what your father does, referring to the devil You are children of the devil, Jesus says. Do you remember what it was like to be a child of the devil? Boy, he said, Pastor Samuel, that sounds pretty, uh, sounds pretty serious. It is. It is serious to be in a lost state, to be a child of the evil one. It is clear from Scripture who we once were. And we forget it. We walk away from that on a daily basis. Praise God for the Holy Spirit who brings us back to the gospel again and again and again. What is the gospel? It is not just rejoice, hey, have a good day, be happy in Jesus today. The gospel first is that you were lost, dead, bound in your trespasses. There was no hope for you. You could never earn your way out of that place. But Jesus came down. God sent his son into this world. He died. He paid the price. He died in your place on the cross. That should have been you. Jesus did that for us. Has your life been a pure reflection of gratitude-filled worship to him this past week? Every moment of your life should be consumed with, God, thank you. Who am I that you would do that for me? Thank you, God. That should be what our lives look like. Now, think about your life just this past week. What about your sins? What about those habits? What about the times that you ate too much? 
What about the times that you looked with lust? What about the times that you coveted? We didn't give Jesus all the worship that he was due this week, did we? Central Baptist Church. We didn't live every moment of our lives broken and humble. In fact, some of us fell flat on our faces this week. Some of us had a breakdown this week. Some of us failed miserably and felt far away from God and hard in our hearts all over again. Yes, we are saved, and yet we failed. We quenched the Spirit. We grieved God. That could be some of us here today. So we need to be reminded of this gospel over and over and over again. Look at the place from from whence you came. <laughs> look, look who you were. Remember that. Don't ever forget. Worship the Father in spirit and in truth today. You're born again. You have been set free by the Son. Live like it. Praise God like it. Be filled with the Spirit like it. Be reminded of it. Embrace it. Re-embrace it. Celebrate it. Re-celebrate it. Thank God that he has brought us through another week, brought us into this place to remember the gospel. Now, I want to remember the gospel. That produces thanksgiving in the heart. If you remember the gospel and the Holy Spirit is just working, it's working the gospel down into your heart. And once again, just opening your eyes and awakening you to the beauty. You're going you're gonna to rejoice in God. You're going to be satisfied in the steadfast love of God and rejoice in him all the day long, if that is true for you. I want to remember the gospel. You know what I want to do the next time we have the Lord's Supper? Yes, I want, I want Dusty to come up and, and lead us in the Lord's Supper. I want him to come up and, and read to us from the scriptures. You know what else I want to do? I want to have a time where we as a church go, so what do you remember about the cross, church? What do you remember about the night that Jesus was betrayed and all of his friends left him alone? He was betrayed into the hands of sinners. And he was taken into a dark alley and just beat up. And there was a mock trial given to him and he was condemned to death. What do you remember about those things? What do you remember about the stripes that were put on his back? What do you remember about how he couldn't make it to Calvary Hill because he was so beat down and exhausted? And by his stripes, we are healed. What do we remember about? There, there are just so many details in the Gospels about the crucifixion. John's Gospel alone, like the whole back half of the Gospel, is all about the night that Jesus was betrayed. A huge half the Gospel is focused on the, on the passion of the Christ. Why? Because he wants you to remember the Gospel. The same author that said, if you're going to worship him, you've got to worship in spirit. You've got to have that Holy Spirit living in you. And you've got to worship him like one who has been set free. That's why the next time we take the Lord's Supper as a church, I want to have a time of just reflecting. Remember the gospel. Because that's going to produce thanksgiving in the heart of God's people. Isn't it an honor? To worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. Isn't it a great honor? What an opportunity. 
What a joy, what a privilege. Mormons cannot do this. Jehovah's Witnesses cannot do this. Muslims cannot do this. People who have grown up in church all of their lives, but have never repented and believed the gospel, they cannot do this. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Regeneration makes you a Christian. Believing the gospel makes you a Christian. Being set free by the power of Christ makes you a Christian. And it should make you want to get up and dance while you're at it. Yes. If that describes you this morning, if you've been set free and you are, your, your heart is just soaring on the wings of eagles, you're just worshiping God with all of your heart and spirit and truth today, praise God. Praise God. What an opportunity. What a blessing. That's exactly what the Father is looking for when he looks down from heaven and he looks down through the roof of this church into the hearts of his people. He is looking for people. A whole church full of people that are worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And I hope that describes you today. We have a reason to worship, a motive to worship. And we've been created to worship. And we've been recreated to worship. Right? Mankind made in the image of God. Why? To reflect God, to worship God, to praise Him for all of His goodness and His glory and His free grace. We sinned. We fell. We were far from God. That's okay. He came down to save us, to redeem us, to recreate us back into the worshipers that He originally intended us to be. That's good news. I want to give you a simple but profound definition of worship. Simple but profound definition. Worship is a reasonable and heartfelt response to God. I'll say that again. Worship is a reasonable and heartfelt response to God himself by the people whom he has redeemed. A reasonable and heartfelt response to God himself Our worship is aimed and directed at God himself by the people whom he has redeemed. So we see in John's gospel, chapter four, that that God is seeking, the father is seeking a, a, a people who will worship him in this way, in spirit and in truth. And as as we read on in the New Testament, we see that that people that God is looking for to worship him in spirit and in truth, the New Testament goes on to give that people a special name, right? That people that God calls to worship him in spirit and in truth is called the church. So I think as the New Testament goes on, we could kind of fill in that, that the, the, the meaning of what Jesus is saying here. 
pick up my Bible. It's... Yes, I need reading glasses. No, I haven't bought them yet. So, <laughs> the hour is coming. It is now here when the, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking a church to worship Him. A people, true worshipers. He's seeking a church that will worship Him in this way. I want to be a church like that. Don't you? See, I used to come to church and I really just thought about myself. I was really just an individual. Oh, I want to praise you, God. I want to love you, God. I don't think so much about just myself anymore. I think about you. I think about all of us. I want all of us to have a thriving relationship with God. I want all of us to join hearts together in unity on a Sunday morning and look up into the face of God together and give him true heartfelt worship. Congregational worship. That's what God's looking for, isn't it? Not just individual worship, congregational worship. I'm looking for a people who do this. A whole church full. I want congregational worship. So this is the heart of congregational worship. A, 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 a family full of redeemed believers who have been set free by the Son, all praising God for the same reason, for the sake of the gospel. Why do we gather here together? It's not because we all have the same job. It's not because we all have the same personality. It's not a club. This is a family of blood-bought Brothers and sisters, we come together because of the cross. That is way bigger, better, and greater than our small differences, our personalities, our likes, our dislikes. The cross. We come together under the shadow of the cross to worship God. And we want to offer Him Worship in spirit and in truth. We want to have sincere hearts in that. So I'm starting here. And back to the beginning of the sermon, I said, we, we want to teach the church about the church. Church, you are a redeemed people and God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. This is his clear expectation from Jesus. And that is what he is inspecting. That is what he is looking for. He said, hey, I've given you the expectation. Now I'm going to come into your house and see if this is what's happening. And so we all want, it's kind of like those days, right? When, you're, uh, when, you're, when your company is being audited and inspected, okay? And everybody's like, okay, make sure everything's cleaned up, put up, everything's in order. That's what we need to be like as a church. Like, man, Jesus, he's looking for this. He's looking into our hearts. This is his expectation that we would appreciate the gospel. So I'm wanting to teach the church about its identity as worshipers. And then the next time that I, I teach, here in a couple weeks, I want to step into how do we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth through corporate singing. So we're going to say we've got worship 
Is the goal sincere spirit and truth worship? And we want that to be corporate. And one of the specific expressions of corporate worship is through singing. So we're going to take a look at our our singing as a church. We now have the heart of worship in John 4.23. We've got the heart. It's the most important part. Nothing else matters if you don't have the heart of worship, right? I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about worshiping him in spirit and in truth as a church. Not just individually, but all of us together. Now, one of those corporate expressions is songs, singing. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 5.18 and Colossians 3.16. For all of you who text me and say, what's the sermon about next week? <laughs> next time that, that I teach you on worship, it'll be over Ephesians 5.18 and Colossians 3.16. So brothers and sisters, as we wrap up things today, I want you to think about that question. Knowing that Jesus... And and God, the Father, are are looking for those to worship him in spirit and truth. Does that describe you today? Is there anything stopping you from worshiping the Father in spirit and truth? Is there any burden that you're carrying? Is there any sin that you need to confess and repent of and declare war on? How do I know if I'm worshiping God in spirit and in truth? Well, is God a delight to you? Is it a delight for you to wake up every day and pursue your relationship with God? Or has that just kind of fallen by the wayside? Other things have maybe crowded that out. Is your relationship with God a delight? Is caring for the body of Christ a delight and an honor? How do you know if you're a sincere worshiper? You're going to love the things that that Jesus loves. He loves the church. He died for the church. He cares for the church. He's been busy washing our feet all week, hasn't he? He's been busy helping us all week. Jesus has not left us, constantly attended us. He loves us, cares for us. Do you love the church as well? Do you love one another earnestly? As it says in 1 Peter. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Are you forgiving people? Are you holding grudges against people? And judging people by appearances? That's how you know if you're a sincere worshiper, worshiping in spirit and truth. If you've been set free by the gospel, then you're living in the same way that Jesus lived. And you're all about the same things that he was all about. What about the lost? Do you love the lost enough to take risks? Did you risk your neck, your life, your reputation? Did you risk what people thought of you this week to proclaim the gospel to others? All of those things would point to a heart that is on fire, that is worshiping God in spirit and in truth.
say, well, I, I feel like I've kind of fallen away from that. My heart is hard. Maybe some of you in this room today are, are not yet a Christian. You say, but I want that. I want to be a true worshiper. What do I need to do to be a true worshiper? And the answer is found right in uh, the book of Isaiah that we just finished as a church. You can look back there with me. Isaiah 55. If you are not yet a true worshiper of God, or if you are a true worshiper, but your heart is struggling to worship him in spirit and in truth today. Listen to this invitation from Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. What is he talking about here? It's a free gift. It's the grace of God. Jesus often talked about If you believe in me, then my Father and I will come into you and we will eat with you and we will dine with you. We will have fellowship together. You see what God is inviting you to here. Come, buy wine and milk. Come, drink all that you need. Come, eat and be satisfied. Come and have a meal with me. Come to the feast. Come and be in a relationship with me. How do you come? How do you become? Get back to that point of being a sincere worshiper. You respond to this invitation. You come to God for the, for the grace of God. Say, God, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I am a sinner. I am far from you. Yes, Lord, I am a Christian, but my heart is hard. Lord, I have sinned against you. I have grieved your spirit. Whatever the case may be, you pray, you cry out, and you come and you take him up on this offer of free grace. Come and drink the waters of grace. Come and drink the grace of God today. Look at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Of course he is near today. You're in the midst of the people of God. You're hearing his word being proclaimed to you. You're hearing this invitation. Turn and seek the Lord while he is near. Verse 7, let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Admit that you're an unrighteous person. Admit that you're a sinner. Christian, admit that you have sinned against God. Return to him, it says. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him, and he surely will. Look at what it says. Come to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And when you come to him, look at verse 12. You will go out in joy. You will be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. You can walk out of this place today rejoicing, singing God's praise, being renewed, being revived, being forgiven. 
being reconciled to God for the first time or the hundredth time because of the gospel of his grace. We have every reason to blow the roof off of this building today in grateful praise and thanksgiving. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of our God. Why? Because of the great things that he has done for us, right? Amen. Let me pray with you. Sovereign God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the rain outside. Father, we just take a few quiet moments in your presence. We ask you to search us, to search our hearts, and to know us, and to see if there is any wicked or offensive way in us to convict us of that sin. I pray that we would Repent of it, forsake it, put it behind us, and be forgiven of that sin today. Lord, if anyone here today is not yet a believer, then I pray that the gospel message would penetrate their hearts today. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not be judged and condemned to hell, but would have everlasting life. This is the promise that you hold out to anyone today. God, I pray that you would save the lost today as proof that you are a great Savior and that this is truly the gospel that was sent from heaven, that I am not making this up, that that our church is not following some dead tradition that was handed down to us. But God, this is the truth, the message from heaven that Jesus himself spoke of. And when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship team to go ahead and come on up and be ready to uh, close us.